0: It's the third Thursday of the month and we're Off the Bricks and on the air. You're listening to a poetry podcast from Brick Street Poetry.
1: Welcome to Off the Bricks, poets and poetry lovers. Today on the program, we have a discussion regarding translation between two former Indiana Poet Laureates, Joyce Brinkman and Karen Kovacek. Kovacek is a poet and translator of contemporary Polish poetry. Ezra Pound said a great age of
0: literature is perhaps always a great age of translation and Karen I know you have been fortunate to spend time in Poland and you have done uh, some excellent translation that you're going to share with us today. Let's begin with your very first poem.
2: This is three lines of a poem by the poet Jacek Denel, who was born in 1980. Museum Anatomie Sarna. Zedvarochniki Potvornego Žwobka, Siklop Kvonuk, Kadwuk I Serena, Gusi Karbunku, Novotfur, Gruzlasti. So in English, those same lines and title would sound like this: Museum of Anatomy, Deer. Like two classes in some freakish preschool: a torso, cyclops, cephalopod, mermaid, bumps, and carbuncles, tubercular tumors.
0: I love how the sounds of those two poems, whether they're in Polish, whether you read it in Polish or whether you read it in English, um, you 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 still have you, you've captured the sound in English that the that the the Polish language is making in that poem, Karen. Tell us a little bit about how that works. Yeah, well, so
2: thank. First of all, thank you, Joyce. Um, well, sometimes people I think uh, perceive translation to be a one size fits all art, whereas each poem really offers different challenges in translation. And and when I was reading this poem in the original Polish and part of my process is to always read the poems out loud uh, in the original language, just so I can hear the sound repetitions and hear the music of the original. Um, And so as I was doing that, I realized that I was gonna wanna try to recreate that. Um, So uh, I was fortunate that some of the words like uh, in Polish, there is the word which basically means carbuncle. So I was able to, that was sort of a a translatory gift, you know, um, in that um, I was basically dealing with a cognate words that sound similar in both languages. Um, But but basically uh, as I was crafting the English I was just listening for the sound echoes um, in my lines, just to try to get that similar rhythm, similar stresses in similar places. And even if the words didn't always repeat the same sounds that the Polish did, to repeat some sounds
0: in English, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me, because I don't know, I know you have a Polish background, Correct. I do. Yeah. I'm I'm three quarters Polish and one quarter Slovak. So yes, very
2: much a product of the Slavic world. Yeah. Do you think that that helps you in your translations? I'm, I'm not sure. I was an adult when I really learned Polish, though okay. I did hear some Polish as a child. When my grandfather was still alive, um, my mother would speak Polish with him. It's really my translation work has come about largely because of lots of reading and writing and talking in Polish. And maybe that would have occurred even if I, I didn't have Polish ancestry. I don't know but maybe the Polish ancestry is one of the things that that
0: got me into learning Polish, though, so I will say that. Well, obviously, there have been people who have translated who have absolutely really no experience, no family background or any kind of experience at all. Um, for instance, Pound evidently was very interested in Chinese poetry, and he really didn't have any knowledge of Chinese language. So to a certain extent it is a research situation is it not? I mean you you know you're you you really have to learn and I think you also from what I remember you saying about how you work you very much work with with the Polish authors if you can if they're alive. Yeah, that's right and the
2: poets I work with are often themselves translators and are very sensitive to what's required in translation, you know, both the fidelity and also the artistry, because, you know, we've all read translations where that's some kind of wooden in the new language, um, because maybe the translator is trying to preserve the original syntax when that syntax, if it's imported directly into English sounds stiff or does not sound natural. Um, And so the poets I work with often, like I said, have translation experience. Jacek Denel, the one who wrote Museum of Anatomy Deer, for example, has translated the English poet Philip Larkin and the American poet Carl Sandburg and as well as did a retranslation of The Great Gatsby and some works by Henry James and that sort of thing. And another poet I'm gonna be talking about today, Kristina Dombrowska, translated Louise Glick and um, some William Carlos Williams and WB Yeats and various other folk. It's it's immensely helpful to uh, work with poets who are themselves translators and um, who have a pretty sophisticated knowledge of English because you know, then, then they can give me feedback on you know, individual lines and words. And sometimes when I'm doing a first draft of a translation, I'll give them like three different choices of words or phrases, and they will sometimes you know, choose one or the other, uh, though they, they always leave the final decision up to me.
0: Do they sometimes reject all three and give you a suggestion back? Has that ever happened? That you can think of? Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Um, so you really do have a partnership with your, with at least some of your people whose poetry you you translate. That's right. I suppose as poets, obviously, we're always thrilled when our stuff gets out to any place in the world in in whatever language. But I guess I think more about bringing those other languages in, and I don't know how much you maybe know about how much things get published uh, in different languages, but at least from the work that you do and the uh, poets that you work with in Poland, do you think that there is a lot of interest in, in reading uh, in Polish poems that have been translated from English? Definitely.
2: I mean, in fact, there there even was a literary movement in Poland Sort of after after the communist era called Oharism, um, named for Frank O'Hara, who became wildly popular sort of in the early 2000s. I, I think in part because poets like, for example, Czesław Miłosz or Zbigniew Herbert were known for writing a lot about history and historical mm-hmm. drama, you know, World War mm-hmm. II sort of thing and and poets um, who came of age in the, those first years uh, after communism ended in poland poets i think wanted to move away from that historical trauma and to embrace everyday things and they saw frank o'hara as one of the people who was an emblem of
0: ordinariness yeah that's great um, I guess one of the reasons I asked that too, though, is that at least, and I've never been to Poland, I haven't gotten to Poland, would like to go there sometime if the, you know, if world travel ever comes back to us, maybe I will get there. Uh, but so many times in Europe, I mean, the Europeans are bilingual, trilingual, you know, they, they speak lots of languages and most places I've been anyway, they, they speak English, but in Poland, they still crave having these poems in, in their Polish language. Uh, There's a, a a big interest in that evidently. Uh, Is is that your feeling? that's it, but I mean, you know, a reader might
2: speak English casually, but still not be able to understand the
0: nuances of a poem. Yes. I or, or might it. understand the nuances better in his or her own language. Yes. I think that's a very good point to be made. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate your saying that because because, yeah, it's one thing to say pleasantries to somebody in in a language so that isn't your native language. And it is another thing. I mean, sometimes it's even if we're reading a poem in our own language, there are nuances that are difficult for us to get. So. Yeah, right. it, it brings, it brings the poem more fully to them when they get it, if they get it trans- translated well into Polish. Would you say that? Mm-hmm. Yes, as long as it's translated well,
2: they can have, you know, uh, ideally an equal appreciation for the poem that a reader in, who's a native speaker of English would have when reading the original.
0: Okay, well, uh, read us another poem by the the, uh, the same poet that you just read.
2: Okay, um, so this poem uh, was inspired by hearing about someone in northwest Poland setting himself on fire because of unrequited love. This, this is untitled, but it does have an epigraph by Pierre Ronsard the French poet, and the epigraph goes like this. Even when veiled by embers, fire remains fire. Love's sacred walls will not snuff out this pyre. And this is uh, this poem is for Piotr Tarchinsky, um, Jacek's husband. If unhappy love ends with a splash of mineral spirits and setting oneself ablaze, on a street in Bellows Fall, New Hampshire. Then how does happy love end? What will extinguish a happy love? Unquenchable, crackling in the dark, scattering sparks and scorching, flying up the stairs, unflagging, leaping about the roof from rafter to rafter, throwing out life and warmth. What will extinguish it? Toss bed and table into it, throw in a chair, the parquet floor, all books and papers into that happy love. Watch as the people of Bellows Falls walk toward it, how they warm their hands on it,
0: love. That's a very interesting poem, Karen you've told us all about the research on this, which again is is very interesting how you try to, you you know, you wanted to pick a place when you did it in English, you want to pick a place that was in the the United States or could have been someplace like England or someplace, someplace where they speak English, which was an interesting suggestion for you uh, to do. And then, and then again, some of the sounds that you've captured in here that go with the Polish in the name and so forth. When you do this, do you read the poem in Polish first and do you choose to translate something that has some kind of meaning or significance to you? When you read a poem in Polish, how do you make a choice about what you want to translate? Yeah, that's
2: that's an excellent question, Joyce. Um, yeah, so oftentimes there there is some sort of connection, whether it's formal or emotional or intellectual, um, or sometimes I, I, you know, as a poet, I'm interested in doing difficult things, like, or things that I haven't attempted in my own work yet, because I feel that as a poet, I'm I'm constantly learning and relearning my craft by doing translation, and I'm, I'm sort of upping the ante for myself you know for what what I feel like I'm capable of um so so
0: sometimes it's the adrenaline of a challenge really that's that's interesting to know and and I think that's one of the things that sort of brought me the kind of the realization of thinking that myself is kind of what brought me to ask you to be with us today um I think it, it's a pastime for me, but I almost wish that I had mastered, really mastered another language. I, I particularly love Spanish from the standpoint of, of poetry, the, you know, there's so much music to Spanish and, um, but I didn't study Spanish. Uh, and it seems to me that translating, I really think it's possible for translating to make you a better poet yourself. Uh, and I think you're saying you're I'm hearing that from you, that that it gives you a challenge. And in accepting that challenge, y- you basically become a better poet. You, you learn something that you might not have learned otherwise uh, through the translation of somebody else's work. So in a way, it's a kind of a collaboration. Right. Even if you even if you're working with someone who uh, is not alive and cannot speak to you, you're still you're still in some ways collaborating and you're still you're you're benefiting from what this other poet has done. It's able to inspire you and and uh, and help you be a better poet.
2: Yeah, you know, and, and who knows if I if I truly am a, a better poet, but but what I will say is is this no one, no one reads more closely than a literary translator. Mm-hmm. Because you know, we can't be postmodernists. We we have to always be interpreting as we're translating. And you know, because every translation is in fact an interpretation. So um, and, and so to arrive at that interpretation, we have to look at every clue, you know, every sound, we have to look at the length of the line, we have to look at not only the first definition of a word, but all of the definitions, all of the nuances. And then we have to we have to listen for the rhythm. We have to see if there's a rhyme scheme. We have to make those rhymes in our own rhyme-poor language sound natural. You know, we have to follow the syntax where we can and depart from it where we must you know so there's there's just a lot that that goes into it um but there's also you know when you fall in love with a person and you you want to study everything about that person in a way the translator is the ultimate lover you know mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we have to pay that exquisite attention to the poet we're translating To every nuance every sound every syllable and and you know it's not every reader that takes the time to do that
0: Mm -hmm. yeah excellent excellent okay um you have a couple other poems to share with us um yeah uh,
2: so i'm gonna i'm gonna do um I know that you're a gardener, Joyce. So I think I'm gonna do a, a gardening-related unhappy love poem, um, and there's there's a little bit of a funny story about this. So, you know, we 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 translators have a bunch of reference sources that we constantly consult and we're always trying to like track down like names of plants and Polish and names of trees and, and, you know, I don't know, animals and so on and so forth. So I started translating a poem by Kristina Dombrowska, um, a Polish poet from Warsaw who was born in 1979. And so the Polish title is called Rospacz which sounds very much like the common name of a plant in Polish. And it's, it's, it's sort of a portmanteau word um, that has two parts, rospacz, which means sorrow, and ulga, which means relief. So I, I looked all over for this plant and could not find it. So then I wrote to Kristina and I was like, hey, I, I've been looking for a rose patchulga everywhere. And I, I, I just can't find it because I, I want to see if there's a common name in English. And she was like, oh, Karen, I made up the plan. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so then I was like, oh, okay. So then, yeah. then it was my challenge as a poet to um, come up, you know, if I just called the plant sorrow relief, that wouldn't sound very planty, you know? It wouldn't sound botanical. Uh, so I decided to come up with Sorrow Balm mm-hmm. as
0: the name of my plant. Um, and so I do he- like that title. I do like that title, Karen.
2: Right, right. Cause I'm sure you've like, you probably have some bee balm in your own. I do, form. yes. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's here's Christina's poem, Sorrow Balm. Do you know the plant Sorrow Balm? When fire stifles every trace of the word you, for you, with you, because of you, smoke spurs the germination of its seeds. Its blossoms hang heavy as a black peonies, yet its drooping petals are light. Its roots penetrate the beginnings of a story that's come to an end. Its thorns sear but a tea or compress from its leaves can heal. Its fruit can be habit-forming, cause nausea. Forgotten in a pocket, it becomes a rattle, beating a frantic rhythm with every step. Sorrow, sorrow, balm, sorrow, balm, balm. For the eye, barely breathing, its scent galls. Wait, here comes a sneeze to clear
0: the head at last. I, I like that. I, I like the name, the title, and you kind of work through there with uh, the good and the bad, the good and the bad of the plant. Uh, right. It's
2: like after a relationship ends, this plant can both, uh, it, it can sort of remind us of the sorrow of that relationship ending, but it can also potentially bring healing and relief, you know, but that, that sort of ambi- ambivalence when a relationship ends sadness, but also relief is obviously something, that mm-hmm. Don was trying to write about here.
0: Yeah. Or in this case, yeah. Relief bomb calmingness. I mean, you can go from the sorrow to the calm kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Right. In a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Do you want to give us a few lines from from the the Polish? Uh, yeah, sure. So there's that one line where
2: she's talking about the frantic rhythm, you know, and and it's like sorrow, sorrow, balm, sorrow, balm. Yes. So I'm just going to do how that line sounds in Polish. Okay, that's good.
0: Rospatulka, ulga, Yes. And you really did capture the same, the same pattern, the same sound. It's very good. Very good. Okay. And you have another poem uh by the same by the same poet? Yeah. So um so so this is part of a
2: series uh that Christina wrote about uh the ending of a relationship. And it's it's sort of about an experience of insomnia, but also about, and this is something that your listeners might relate to some of us when we were children had like a special stuffed animal or a blanket or some kind of something that would help us fall asleep or was a comfort to us when we were sad you know um and and so uh polish is a very diminutive rich language and so so i was translating this poem i was trying to you know, find a few diminutives to kind of sprinkle into this poem to make it sound um, like the original Polish. So this one is called Blanky. In the dark, you can't see that it's pink with white squirrels and how the pink and white have grayed. She's had it from the time she called squirrels bunnies with little ears. She'd have to fondle it to fall asleep. Most important was one corner, all frayed from stroking and sucking, saturated with her childish spit, like a tarp the waking world couldn't penetrate. That ratty corner of her blankie even had a special name, no one but the child could pronounce. She tries now to recreate it, the lisping monosyllable, something like the in English, after being washed, the vanished. She didn't know where. Her blankie had become something sanitized and strange. She'd have to bring it back to life with her touch. In all these years, it never got lost. It waits beneath her pillow to press against a sleepless cheek. That corner, all in tatters. Threads full of snags. Hour by hour, The darkness turns white. Tiny pink flames leap under her eyelids. Come here, squirrels, bunnies with little ears, and I'll offer up
0: these nuts too hard to crack. Yeah, I can definitely relate to this because when my first child was very small, I spent one night about Oh, two o'clock in the morning, walking all through the bleachers at a stock car track. <laughs> oh, oh, because the blanket got, got lost. Because the blanket got lost. Yes, <laughs> it was a terrible, terrible experience. So, yes, I mean, the, I think this is pretty universal. Uh, I, if if a child doesn't have a blanket, they have something. They're, they have something that is terribly important to them, and in in which they, you know cherish so yeah yeah did you ever find your child's blanket i I did not find that blanket now Um, we we immediately got one that looked exactly the same and we didn't have any problem replacing it we were that was okay Uh, yeah um but but again I, i certainly i can to this day remember my terror Trying to go up and down the bleachers, trying to find that blanket. <gasps> yeah. Okay. Can we hear that a little bit in in the Polish?
2: Okay. Let's. I'll I'll do. Um, I'll do a little bit. Uh, I'll do the maybe the first four lines. Kocyk po ciemku nie <inaudible> widać, że jest różowy w biały wiewiórki i jak jego ruch i biał. o oczasu.
0: Very good. Karen, you just read excellently, no matter whether you're reading in English or Polish. Oh, and, you're kind. <laughs> and and I, am, I am so thankful that you've been able to be with us today because I have to admit that I hadn't thought a lot about translation until real recently, thinking... You know, I, I think Pound is right that translation and the sharing and the ability to share so much of the poetry of, of the world really makes for for rich and and uh, expansive poetry for all of us. So I, those of us who are, don't translate are fortunate that we have people like you who do translate and who obviously do it with so much care. I can tell from what you've shared with us and, and your your visit here, that, that you put a lot into this, and, um, and, and you really care about doing a good job. So uh, I'm just thrilled you were able to be with us today. Before you leave us, tell us a little bit about some of your books and where, the, where our listeners might be able to find some of your poetry. poetry. Right,
2: a couple of books of poetry. One is Metropolis Burning from a Cleveland State University Press. Um, another one is Beyond the Velvet Curtain from Kent State. I've also trans, well, I i edited an anthology of Polish women poets called Scattering the Dark, which came out a few years ago uh, from White Pine. There are a couple of poems by Krystyna Dombrovska, the poet I, I just read. This year, Zephyr Press is coming out with a collection of Kristina Dombrovska's work. It's a bilingual edition. Um, That should be out somewhere, maybe March to June, that period. You know, I mentioned earlier Jacek's book, Aperture, that came out from Zephyr Press in 2018. So in all of these, if you put my name, um, uh, you can order it, order any of my books from uh, a local bookstore of your choice, or If you want to go online and order it, all of those would be available online as well. Yeah, I I really appreciate having this conversation with you, Joyce, and talking about the art of translation, which I so love, and the work of these two poets whom I I deeply admire.
0: Well, we really are happy that you love it and that you were willing to share uh, with us today. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you, Joyce. Time to pause for a natural moment with a bit of poetry focusing on our non-human world.
1: Today's natural moment poem comes from From the Edge of the Prairie, a poetry anthology. Today's natural moment poem is My Little Cloud by William Burton. I reached within my shadowed heart and from it pulled a summer sigh. Bemused, I took a cloud apart and pulled it from the sky. I gazed upon the powdered mist and warmly felt its living song, like sleeping children tucked and kissed, protected by the strong. And when at last my hand unclenched, my little cloud began to cry, and it did rain and it was drenched beneath a saddened sky. This program would not have been possible without the help of our creators and creatives. Our signature music is composed and performed by Iona Wagner. Generous supporters of Off the Bricks include Indiana Humanities, the Arts Council of Indianapolis, and the City of Indianapolis. We release new episodes of Off the Bricks on the third Thursday of each month, so keep an ear out for us. Thank you for joining us, poets and poetry lovers.
2: Good poetry enriches our day and enlightens us about ourselves and the world. Join us again the third Thursday of the month
0: as we bring you poetry,
2: Off the Bricks.